Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and it's my privilege to talk about Jesus and the hope and the peace we have in Him. Uh, please enjoy the following message, and if you like, uh, support the mission of God here in this area by going to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org. Thank you. That's I love that song, and you did a fantastic, that's beautiful, man. Perfect for our scripture today. I tell you the truth, unless you become like a little child, you'll never even enter the kingdom of heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Boy, uh... Wouldn't you like to be a little child right now? Of course, you little children are probably thinking, no, I want to be an adult. And your mom and dad are like, no, you don't. (laughs) Especially these days, right? Wouldn't you love to be a little child? You know, Jesus uses the illustration of little children, and he seems to applaud them. It might be his most popular physical Illustration he uses in all his conversations with people. It's always the same message that we're going to talk about today. By the way, I apologize. The title of the sermon, um, that's now just a little part of the sermon. Because as I was studying this this week, I'm like, this is all connected. So uh, we'll get to this. But uh, um, I was going to focus on that last part about the, uh, you know, when someone hurts you, talk to just that person and talk to a couple others, blah, blah, blah. That's a part of the whole thing here, and I hope you see what that means. Wouldn't you love to be a little kid, though, where you are not responsible for anything, where you can just rest comfortably in your mom's arms and know that it's going to be okay? Which parents, by the way, is, I would say, the number one gift you give your kids is security, or at least faking like you're secure, (laughs) Faking like you know what's going to be okay. That's a huge part of a parent's job, isn't it? And being a leader, too. You smile and say, it's going to be all right. That security and stability in a kid's life is huge. It's more important than anything else you can give them. Because having that there, they're able to grow, explore, etc. As you can become an adult and you leave the nest... And you realize, oh, (laughs) mom and dad really didn't know exactly what was going on all the time and weren't exactly geniuses at every little thing they were doing. We kind of make it up as we go too, don't we? Wouldn't you love to be a little kid? Safe in your mom's arms again. Jesus likes that parable because that's what Christianity is. Actually, helpless, weak people, both in righteousness and power, absolutely resting in God's arms. Jesus is uh, walking uh, on his way to Jerusalem in chapter 18, if you want to follow along here. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, you and I are like, that's a really dumb question to ask Jesus. If you know Jesus at all, that might be the opposite thing you should ever say to Jesus, right? 
But that's really how it works, and I'll bet you think like that in every other aspect of life. Who's the greatest uh, basketball player, NBA player ever? Michael Jordan, obviously. Or, or a second, I'll give you Magic Johnson. Does anybody can contest with me at all? Anybody? Greatest baseball, shout it out. Greatest baseball player? I, I can't, I know I got masks on. Greatest, uh, let's see, I'm not going to say greatest president. Um, let's see, uh, we're not going to go there. But we do this all the time, right? Maybe in your office, at your work, who's the greatest? As, as kids, brothers and sisters, who can jump the farthest, who can do this best? We do this all the time. We have to have that. Who's the best? Who's the worst? And we applaud the best. And if we're nice, we cheer on the worst. But we look up to the strong and the mighty, those that don't need any help, that can do it themselves. So honestly, I mean, you're in the, this business of Jesus Church, the disciples, there's 12 of them, classic guys too. Who's the greatest, Jesus? Now they might be not asking about themselves, they might just be saying in the overall uh, spectrum of uh, the biblical figures. In other words, it might be, you know, I'm a big Moses fan. I like Elijah. I think, you know, just like we do for the NBA, right? Maybe that's what they're thinking too. Who's the greatest? Who's the strongest? Who's the mightiest? Was it, or maybe it was John the Baptist, etc. And Jesus does not think as you think. As George Costanza said, maybe every instinct I have is wrong, and if I do the opposite, it's correct. And Seinfeld, anybody, are we, do we still have Seinfeld people out there? It's kind of how Jesus is. Which I like to always say, if your God sounds a lot like you, it's probably not God. God thinks and sees things differently. Praise God. Because he saved us. Jesus sees this little child there. He calls the little child, which is kind of cool because you can imagine where he was doing this teaching. It wasn't, it was, it would be at a family environment. It might be at someone's house and there in the backyard barbecuing and teaching. I'm just throwing that out as a possible, possible scheme. While you have families out there hanging around playing. Something like that's going on. So he calls a little child and, and has him stand among them. I love this visibility, right? Come here, stand right there. And by little child, in the Greek, there's a couple different words you could use. It's a little one. We're talking toddler or younger. Standing, but we're not talking about 13 years old. They've reached the age of whatever made-up phrase that people have made up of discernibility, whatever the heck that is, or accountability. They're, in, they're two years old or so. And he has them stand among these mighty, rough-hand men. And here's this little kid. Could be a boy, could be a girl. <laughs> and he says, well, I'm going to tell you something as you're trying to figure out who's the grace in the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become like a little child, this one right here, if you need a figure to look at, not only are you not the greatest, you're never going to even enter the kingdom of heaven in the first place. Whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Flips it. You went from who's the strongest and mightiest, smartest, most righteous even, to now who is the least, you would say, with your worldly eyes. 
on earth. Who's the least? That's probably the greatest. Now, what does Jesus mean by this is very, very important. It's been absolutely misused and misunderstood frequently. Because our default, we live in a world now where children are cute and cuddly and innocent. We have the silly book, Everything I Need to Learn, I Learned in Kindergarten. Remember that? Popular like in the 2000s. That guy basically is like, I can make a lot of money with this cheesy title. And he did. But in reality, little people, even this awesome little young man, Leon, over here, are not actually esteemed. I don't know about you, and I'm sure the Beckers have raised Leon very well, but I probably won't trust him to drive me, drive a car right now. Or would I? Can you drive yet? Or do my taxes. <laughs> or, well, maybe run for president. That might do us better. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's absolutely no, I'm sorry, Leon, no value or worth to society than this young man here. In fact, I think that he's kind of, he kind of does a lot more taking than giving in your household. In fact, it might feel like if you were to visit, if you're alien visiting, you might think that Leon's king at the Becker household because everyone's serving him. Because he can't do anything. That's what Jesus means when he says a little kid. He doesn't mean, he does not mean cute. You got to really be cute. Doesn't mean uh, innocent in any way. That's ridiculous. Because once you have kids, you start really realizing the, the, what original sin is, don't you? Even at this age, I think, right? Maybe not quite with John. A little too young yet. Jesus does not mean kids are innocent. Nor gullible. That's not what he means at all. That they're gull you need to become gullible and more believing, and kids can believe more. Although there's something, that's a whole other topic, there's something to that. They have not experienced the junky sin that we have. They've not become clever in the many different ways you can sin. That's true. In that sense, God bless them, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about. What he means is, in the Greco-Roman world, little kids were absolutely worthless. They couldn't be in conversations. And we, not too long ago, we talked like this, right? Better to be seen and not heard, right? They weren't even considered human beings in some part of the Greco-Roman world. In fact, it was possible you could do infanticide. So when Jesus says, become like a little child... And humble, he doesn't mean it's a he doesn't mean it's an attribute you should have, or you need to go out and become a more humble person. He means you need to understand and see yourself as absolutely helpless and weak. And have no value. And there's nothing you can contribute to your salvation, to entering in. How does a little infant get into the kingdom of heaven? He must be carried. So this conversation, who's the strongest, the smartest, the more faithful, the more righteous, is absolutely silly. In fact, it might get in the way of grace. Isn't that beautiful, though? That's why every person who's baptized is a baby when they're baptized. That's a factual statement. Whether you're 85 years old and you're a PhD at Harvard or you're Leon. When it comes to God, he personally and totally carries you in according to Jesus. 
Isn't that awesome, though? You want to be a baby? We are. Do you want to go back to the days when you don't need to worry about things and you don't need to be scared and you don't, and you don't need to be scared of the future or those monsters under the bed or what am I going to do is how am I going to job's going to be and you just want your mom to say it's going to be okay? Well, you can. Because you are God's child and you can relax in his arms. The same Jesus that said this went and died for these helpless infants Peter and John and James and you without your permission without your request without your decision to follow Jesus he followed you he found you and he's given you in baptism absolutely new life and picked you up amen Isn't that awesome so then Jesus goes on see this is where it all hangs on I could end the sermon there by the way I'm tempted but I'm not going to because this is really cool now here's Jesus, and I think he's getting a little angry. Verse 5. So whoever welcomes a little child, he keeps on saying this, by the way, the Greek word, not saying child, not saying 13-year-old, a little child, an infant, like this, in my name welcomes me. In other words, Jesus says, he's got my name on it, she's got my name on it, I don't care how worthless and weak and foolish she is, she's mine. You mess with her, you mess with me. You talk nice to her, you're talking nice to me. Isn't that awesome? I'm putting my name on this person, and that's what gives her value. And I don't care how strong or mighty or awesome she is or is not. And that's you. So now you need to understand, little one does not simply mean kids anymore, does it? It's clear that Jesus is saying, human beings, whoever you are, that's what Christians are. We are all little ones, helpless and weak, learning, foolish, absolutely relying on his care. And Jesus says, don't you dare touch them. You welcome them, you welcome me. Then he goes on and says, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, how dare you? And again, little ones now is the weak and the hurting and those that are very fragile in the faith. It's not babies anymore when he's talking like this. It includes that for sure. And I think as a Christian church, we need to take that seriously. We need to look around. Who's new to the faith? Who's the person where you're like, man, they don't know much about Christianity. Our job is not to make fun of or push out or when people fall down to throw them out of the church, but it's to love and to care and to esteem. Oh, that person that's struggling with the faith, I need to really care about that person. Because Jesus is crazy in love with that person. And I'm not going to judge that person or find ways and faults in that person or make fun of their weakness as a Christian. In fact, I'm going to serve that person even more. And I'm certainly not going to be a part of pushing them out of the church just because they're weak. We might do that when we set ourselves up as well, we know everything and we're righteous now and if you're struggling with sin and if you're struggling with knowledge well you don't really belong here the opposite remember anything that you think probably the opposite is the right thing to think may St. James be a place where we care 
especially for all, but especially for the weakest of us. And that includes little kids, absolutely. But it really means those who are weak in the faith, who aren't every day saying, I just love Jesus, who fall in sin, who cry in church, who are broken down by the world. How dare you even come close to pushing them out. You welcome them as if you're welcoming Jesus himself. Because in the, in the end, friends, that's you. You think Jesus sees any difference between any of you? <laughs> Whether a little baby or an adult or a, a pastor or someone who just became a Christian convert. Jesus looks down and he says, human beings, infants, that he has to hold and take care of and clean their diapers. <laughs> And then Jesus goes on, he says, um, he keeps on doing this, doesn't he? Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. He goes on to that, you know, watch out for sin. And then let's go on to verse 10. See that you do not look down on one of these. He keeps on doing this, doesn't he? Don't look down on those who are weak in the faith, those who are not righteous, those who keep on falling in sin, those who constantly need to call the pastor, who, who seem to always be coming by, those who are coming by here and say, Pastor, and making up some reason how they need some money. We've got people like that. How dare you treat them any different than you would Jesus? See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. He's not talking about babies. He's talking about you. And he's talking about the least of you in the Christian church. Because if you're in Jesus, you're in Jesus. There is no partly. You're not kind of. It's everything or it's nothing. And that's when he goes here. So what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and goes look for the one that wandered off, right? That 99 thing. He's making the case. He loves the lost. In fact, I would say Jesus only died for those who are helpless and weak and sinners. If you are strong and you are mighty and you think you're righteous, you don't need Jesus. And he's not looking for you. The joke is, you're not that, actually. That's all in your head. And what a great feeling it is to realize you are that lost sheep. Because he'll go through nothing, he'll stop at nothing to find that lost sheep. As he has found you. And through St. James is finding more. And finally he gets to this, of this section here. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just believe the two of you. So at first I was looking at this and thinking, I'm going to break this up. I'm just going to talk about this section and not this section about little kids and being weak and helpless. But Jesus kind of puts it all together. And I would say, if you don't get the whole picture, you're not really getting what's going on. If you don't get the whole picture, you think Jesus is putting down rules for church life. Which I hear people do all the time. I think it might even be in our constitution. I think it's a, a dab ridiculous. Maybe it's not in this one. I don't know if it's in it. It usually is in church constitutions. When there's a problem, you need to do this, this, and this. And then you're good. And when we think of it, we think, okay, 
you got to follow those rules. I got to talk to just that person first, right? The classic, right? That's what Matthew 18 is. But in fact, for pastors, they're a bunch of nerds. They literally say, oh, did you follow Matthew 18? I had this trouble. Did you follow Matthew 18? Like, we know what, oh, that means the talk to just the person first. And the next thing you talk to, a couple people. And then you talk to a larger group or the whole church. And then finally, after that, you go through the process. Then you can treat them like junk. I think that's what people think. And so people will say, did you go through Matthew? Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, what? Jesus' goal is not to give you new rules to deal with disputes. Or if you follow these rules, you should feel real good about yourself. This is in line with whoever welcomes this little child welcomes me, the weak and the helpless, etc. When there's a problem in the church, the first job is not to push out the person who's being a problem. In fact, look what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. No gossiping, Facebooking, talking to others, pretending you're looking for advice, but really you're just trying to get people on your side. If he listens to you, look what he says. You've won your brother over. The point of these little steps of don't just throw a person out of your life. You should go just to that person. Next, you should go to a couple. The whole point is this is the weak in faith as his brothers hurt you. And the impulse of the Christian should be bringing him or her back. Like Jesus has many times brought you back. And so the goal of the church or a Christian in disputes is not to prove you're right or wrong in a court of law. But it's to bring that poor person who's hurt you, who's sort of living in sin perhaps, back to the forgiveness and the joy of Christ and to bring a relationship back. Because it's all about that, bringing the weak and the hurting and the broken back. And Jesus gives sort of an example, like this is how you should do that. How about take your time in casting judgment? Take your time in slowly building your case. But the goal is not to build your case so you're proven right in front of the church. The goal is to help this person and mend that relationship. Because Jesus loves the weak and the broken and the hurting and sinners and he'll leave the 99 and find the one lost sheep and that one lost sheep is not some pretty romantic clean sheep that you see pictures of it's a messed up hairs or whatever what is it called cotton wool is off the sheep messed up dirty broken foot doesn't look pretty surely doesn't belong in the full and definitely not worth keeping as a sheep if you're going to sell them or use them for something as a as a rancher that's what that sheep looks like jesus is crazy in love with that helpless weak sheep just like he is you isn't that awesome you know, I think of this, you got to be weak to enter the kingdom of heaven. you got to admit you're absolutely helpless to enjoy the grace of God. That's what it is. He doesn't want gifts. When you come to church, you don't need to bring anything. Keep it at home. Everything is yours. He takes care of you. Just like uh, we have parties you go to and 
my wife always tells me, ask what we should bring. And I'm always like, they said, they said, don't worry about it. And she's like, no, that's being polite. No, you have to ask, what can we bring? You go through the whole rigmarole, right? And why do we do that? Because we feel guilty. I got to bring something. I got to bring something to this party. A bottle of wine. And usually if they say nothing, right? Because that's what you're supposed to say. It's a little liturgy, right? You're supposed to ask, and the other person's supposed to say nothing. Ask again. Nothing. One more time. Nothing. Okay. I've done my part. And then you bring a bottle of wine. Jesus says nothing. Because you got nothing. You have nothing to bring to the party. You have zilch like an infant. Come as you are. I will absolutely clothe, feed, take care of you as he is with Holy Communion. You come here empty hands. No claim of righteousness or look at me, Jesus, or I did this, or I think I'm pretty good. No, don't worry about it. Literally nothing. He takes it all. He's done it all. He's saved you all. And he's continually, single-handedly saving you and holding you and bringing you through the threshold of this crazy world into the new heaven and new earth. So it's okay. You are infants. Relax. And just fall back in the arms of your loving Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.